Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me for episode number 21 this week. And it's just me. So this is the first time I've done a solo podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. As we sit here today, we are 24 days away from the first day of spring in the Northern Hemisphere, which is very exciting. And I wanted to focus as we are heading our way out the door of winter on nor'easters, what they are, what they look like, how they happen, and some of the historical ones that we've kind of dealt with. We've been glanced a few times this winter by nor'easters and living in a coastal community and being impacted in the region that we are in New England. I thought it would be a really fun topic to talk about, and it's something I know a little bit about, so I wanted to share. And I hope you enjoy today's episode, Nor'easters. Obsessed with the Weather is brought to you by Birding Situate. Are you looking for an awesome, outdoor, socially distant, and fun activity to get you through the wintertime blues? How about an awesome activity to get outside in the spring? Join me and my co-leader, Liam Norton, as we lead one more wintertime trip around the south shore of Massachusetts looking for sea ducks and other amazing migrating birds. Our second trip is Sunday, March 7th, and sign-ups are open. Sign-ups are also open for our six-part springtime birding class series beginning in April of this year. To learn more and to sign up today, visit birdingsituate.com. That's B-I-R-D-I-N. Let's try that again. That's B-I-R-D-S-C-I-T-U-A-T-E.com. Birdingsituate.com to get your birding experience started today. Everywhere he goes, people want to know what's the weather, so he tells them. He's obsessed with the weather, any type of weather, he's obsessed. Hi, and welcome to the Obsessed with the Weather podcast. Sorry about my voice there. I'm starting to do some Peter Brady stuff, so for those that can remember... The classic Peter Brady. You remember this one, right? When it's time to change, you've got to rearrange who you are and what you're going to be, right? Remember that? Anybody that's old enough to remember that, you're in my time frame. So my voice is cracking a little bit here today. So uh, the change has happened a long time ago, but you might have to deal with my voice being tired toward the end of the day as I record this. So uh, welcome to the Obsessed with the Weather podcast. Uh, I'm, our, I'm your host, Steve McGuire, and this podcast is coming to you from the home of some of the world's most diverse weather here in Situate, Massachusetts. A reminder to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you're listening to your podcasts on, and to visit the website that I have created for this podcast. It is obsessedwiththeweather.com. You can find out about today's episode and all the other episodes we've had Today is episode number 21, which I'm very excited just to talk about nor'easters today with everybody. So thanks for joining me here this week. But as always, let us begin with our weather quiz for this week. So the weather quiz is simply this. What is the Boston, Massachusetts one-day, 24-hour snowfall record? Well, it doesn't look like the winter of 2021 is going to be or the winter of 2020-21, doesn't look like it's going to be the snowmageddon record breaker 
from 2015. It certainly does not look that way. As of now, anyway, the pattern just doesn't look to be setting up. And as I said in my introduction, we're 24 days away from the first day of spring here in the Northern Hemisphere, which is very exciting. We hit a high of 44 today here in Situate. We're going to have a high of 50 on the day that uh, this podcast goes out, which is very exciting. So we're definitely maybe starting to turn the corner just a little bit. But I did think it would be fun to ask a wintertime question like that. So the quiz question is, what is the one-day, 24-hour snowfall record in Boston, Massachusetts? So I'm talking nor'easters. Simply, first, what are they, why do they happen, and why are they so difficult to forecast, and what are all the elements that come into play? So let's begin first with what they are. So a nor'easter is a coastal storm. It usually impacts the coastal regions along the East Coast, mostly, from the mid-Atlantic states, beginning about the D.C. area or a little bit north, all the way to down east Maine, all the way up to down east Maine and actually into Nova Scotia and into Canada. So that's what they are. They have to be a coastal storm. They tend to be a combination of a coastal storm that combines with a storm that moves out of the Midwest and that storm strengthens off the mid-Atlantic coast and then grinds its way up the coastline. And so how uh, or most often, when do they happen? When do these are these storms at their their biggest sort of rage point and the most that they have impacts on our area? So we do get some nor'easters in the fall and in the spring, but the prime time nor'easter season for them to form and to have the biggest impact on areas is during the winter time, usually the months of December. January and February. We've had some really impactful ones in March of late, but January, February, uh, December, January, and February tend to be the big reason as to what they are and why they happen and when they happen. Okay, so those things being said, why are they so difficult to forecast and what are all the elements that come into play? All right, so first of all, you need moisture. And so for that moisture to really get a good head start on what it's going to come from and where it's going to happen is there tends to be moisture that flows out of the Gulf of Mexico. Think about the Gulf of Mexico. The water temperature is really warm. The air temperature is typically really warm. And anytime you get warm air, warm air can hold more water and more moisture. And so the first element that comes into play with a nor'easter is moisture that's moving out of the Gulf of Mexico up the East Coast. So you need that moisture, and you also need the pattern flow, the above air currents, the jet streams, to be flowing in the right direction to bring that moisture up the East Coast. So you start with that. The next thing you need is you need another sort of triggering mechanism. And usually what that means is a small storm, maybe called an Alberta Clipper, sometime they're nicknamed, where it usually works its way out of the Ohio Valley region and will combine with that moisture to form a new storm off the coast, uh, typically New Jersey, Washington, D.C. area, and then it starts starts working its way up toward New England, Nova Scotia, that types of place. So those are the first two elements. Before we get to really anything else surrounding that, I want to talk about what is called the benchmark. So 
You'll hear this term a lot of times in meteorology, and particularly when it comes to nor'easters, the benchmark is incredibly important. So the benchmark is this point. It's 70 degrees west, 40 degrees north. And when New England, the Boston area, situate the southeastern coast of the of, of uh, not the United States, but of uh, Massachusetts, when we get our biggest and most impactful nor'easters, the storm tracks right over that benchmark. So if the core of the storm works its way up the northeast part of the coast over the benchmark, that's when we tend to get the most snow, the most precipitation, the most impactful wind. If it goes further east of the benchmark and works its way out to sea, we tend to be impacted less by snow and wind. If the storm goes further west on the benchmark and actually goes over the top of Boston and southern New England, the event tends to bring in warmer air and we tend to end up getting rain. So let's try that word again, rain, without the Peter Brady effect. So that is what is called the benchmark. So something to be familiar with as these storms form. Okay, so another obvious huge element is air temperature. Do you get rain or do you get snow? Obviously, it depends on where you're located. Add elevation, you tend to get snow. Move away from the coast, you tend to get snow. I used the storm from 2018 as a perfect example. We got a winter storm. It was a it was technically winter. It was the weekend of March 6th. Again, there's my voice, sorry. The weekend of March 6th, 7th, and 8th back in 2018. And we got... 4.1 inches of rain. The air temperature on the coastline was 38 degrees. We were three or four or five degrees away from that being about 40 inches of snow. But we got that four inches of rain over about three or four days. So temperature with these storms is huge, particularly if the ocean is warm. When you get a nor'easter late in the season, March or February, the ocean tends to be colder, and if the wind is off the water, we'll get snow. If we get a nor'easter in December, when the ocean's in the 40s typically, we'll end up getting rain from those events. So coastal areas get rain, inland areas get that heavy, wet, pasty snow. So air temperature, and this can be a matter of miles. So a great example from this winter was we had a nor'easter in December. We were forecasted along the coastline. To get four to eight inches of snow, we got zero inches of snow, even though the forecast called for four to eight inches, all because the ocean was just too darn warm. So air temperature is huge. The other element, which I've already talked about a little bit, is ocean temperature. Again, ocean temperature is cold. You get a wind off the water. It can support snow. The ocean temperature is warm. You get a wind off the water. It's most likely going to be rain. That's why these storms are so difficult to predict. How about the wind direction? Well, the name of the storm is called a nor'easter, right? So the wind direction is constantly coming from the northeast. However, if you shift that wind direction just a little bit, and that as the storm is moving away, that wind now comes from the north, or in some cases, as the storm is really moving away, from the northwest, that's when you'll get a last-minute changeover to snow, and all the areas that weren't as cold 
will have cold air drain in. This is a great example of what happened in southern New England a couple weeks ago. We had the wind direction just holding, barely hanging on to the north, and we got four or five inches of snow all because of that one change. So wind direction plays a big part of that. The other huge part is obviously wind speed. So for a good example, when you end up getting these tremendous wind gusts with snow, particularly if it's a heavy, wet snow, it's going to do a tremendous amount to the power grid, take down trees, knock down wires, all the pieces associated with the storm damage. But you can get storms that aren't that strong, and the wind direction, or excuse me, the wind speed isn't that great. And wind is not an element of the storm like we had last weekend here in New England. Last week, we got three, four, five inches of snow. I kept using the term on my Facebook group. We were referring to it, at, refer, referring to it as the snow globe effect. It felt like we were in a snow globe because the snow was just falling but wasn't being blown around. So wind speed is a big part of it. The other huge element that comes along with these storms is obviously wave action and flooding. So when the tides are at their highest and the storm is at the benchmark and the winds are howling at their most, that's when you get the most serious coastal damage in a storm like this. So you have to think about it. For all of these elements to come together, everything we're talking about here, air temperature, ocean temperature, wind direction, wind speed, wave action and flooding, the tides, for all of these things to come together to be one event and have the historical storms, aka the blizzard of 1978, Nemo from February of 2013, for all of these elements to come together, there's so many variables at play, but when it does, it is unbelievable and it's an incredible event to witness and to be a part of. And the last piece that that really is the big part of this is what is called the central air pressure. So I'll give you an example. So air pressure is measured in both millibars and in inches. And for our argument here, I'm going to just talk about, I'm going to use the term in millibars, okay? So an average run-of-the-mill nor'easter, not really windy, not a lot of damage, maybe some snow, but not a ton of precipitation, not a lot of wind, would be about 1,000 millibars or above that, okay? So 1,000 millibars, use that as kind of your middle ground storm. Noteworthy, might impact travel, but nothing off the charts. Let's use the standard here in southern New England, will be and may never be changed but for all of these years has been the benchmark, the storm, the blizzard of 1978, had a central air pressure of 955 millibars. That is tremendously low for a winter storm and obviously did a devastating amount of damage with the tides as well as the wave and wind action and snow. Nemo from February of 2013 was a measurement of 968 millibars, which is very, very low and did a tremendous amount of damage here in the southeastern part of Massachusetts where we had power out in some cases over a week. There was a tremendous amount of flooding. We had uh, huge issues, to the, like we said, to the power grid, all those pieces. So central air pressure is important. So when you put all those elements together and the storm itself is really 
strong, and it's over a long duration, one or two days, it can be incredibly devastating and is really just one of the most miraculous and cool weather events to witness and be a part of. So those are Nor'easters in a 16-minute podcast. That's what they are. That's why they happen. And, you know, as an amazing weather event, it's so important to have – I have so much respect for those storms because they're amazing to watch as a weather fan. They're obviously devastating to people that live along the coast, but I think it is good to have a healthy respect for them because they – it does take so much for them to happen and for them to be able to be seen and witness is just really something to behold. So that's it. Those are nor'easters in, like we said, uh, 15 or 16 minutes. So our, let's get to the answer now to our weather quiz for this week. Uh, again, the question was speaking of nor'easters and big storms, What is the one-day Boston, Massachusetts snowfall total record? And that record is, drumroll please, do-do-do-do, it is 23.6 inches in February of 2013 found in winter storm nor'easter Nemo. It is not the blizzard of 78. It's not even the April 1st storm of 1997. It is the Nemo storm of 2013 23.6 inches of snow. So that's it. I hope you have an awesome week coming up. Thank you so much for joining me. You can find out more about today's show as well as upcoming episodes, again, by visiting obsessedwiththeweather.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you're listening to your podcasts on. And please, if you're enjoying the podcast, a positive review, it can take you like 10 seconds A positive review would be super helpful and greatly appreciated. 24 days to go until spring if you're listening to this podcast on February 24th. And I hope you have an awesome week. Thanks for listening.